0: Welcome back to How AI Got This, the podcast dedicated to data storytelling. As always, are brought to you by the wonderful people at Cathcart Associates, um, technology recruitment experts. Today in the show, I'm speaking to Rob Bovell, uh, head of engineering at AD Link Technology. AD Link helped build and deploy edge AI solutions, uh, which connect people, places, and things faster. Uh, but I'll let, to, um, let Rob tell you more about it before I uh, butcher it. That was as much as I could get from the website to make me sound <laughs> relatively clever. Uh, so, welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks for having me, Liam. Appreciate it. No worries. Um, so yeah, you guys do loads of cool stuff, we'll, we'll get into that shortly. Anyone else to show, we always start around education uh, or kind of whatever people did after school. Um, your LinkedIn is a well-guarded secret. So it says you went to university, you went to Teesside University, but no mention of what you study. So I'm really hoping for a cool story here. <laughs> um,
1: well, um, so I, I did a, a bachelor's degree in um, business computing, it started out with um and then and then i was one of these lucky guys that got a placement year um as, as part of my sandwich course and then 3 weeks in the placement got cancelled because the company lost a massive contract 6 of us got shipped back to the university as you know first ones out and then we had we were forced to transfer onto a computer studies course well, believe it
0: but, yeah uh, i was Yeah. i was hoping for something a bit more like a bit more out there and you've ended up doing this role anyway, but that kind of makes sense <laughs> with the career you've ended up doing. So I was going to say, so even though you didn't really mean to do computer studies, did it end up throughout that course that you realized that you probably were interested in that as a career or does that, did that come later? Oh uh, no, the business computing course was more, you know, towards the computer science side
1: of, of computing. Um, so there was lots of software engineering, which is what I always really wanted to be. Um, but I just I had a later start in life than, than
0: most students do when when going to university. Yeah, okay, um, no, nice. Uh, and then you've been in and around that kind of technology world for for a while. So you've done, I assume, a few software engineering roles. Um, you've been the head of software development, director of data, CTO. You've done a few different things. So um, before we jump into the the link work. Uh, Is your background that kind of like software engineer progressing up the way? Is that how it's kind of went? Kind of. So um, if I go back before university,
1: I actually um, worked in retail for a long time, Um, ended up as a manager at a supermarket, funnily enough. And then my son was born in 2005. Um, I think I was just shy of my 25th birthday. And as soon as he was born I was like right i don 't want to be working ninety five hours a week over Christmas. I want to see my son grow up." So I went back to university um, very lucky you know the the university was brilliant the the staff are uh, superb and and during my final year, um, actually a local business came to them with a, a, a challenge for creating an analytics portal, which back in two thousand and eight wasn 't what everybody did based off um, a database. And it's, this was in the waste industry. And I kind of went in as straight away as head of IT um, and wrote software for them. But it also, if your mouse was broken, you rang me as well. <laughs> um, and then and then, kind of worked my, my way up from, from there really. Um, spent time back in the waste industry, but in the software organization, um, working in various different roles in that organization. And then ultimately moved back um, to to Stockton where, where I'm based. Um, as as a head of software development. And then you're right, you pick up my career from there, director of data services, a couple of amazing roles as CTO, really, really enjoyed them. Um, just kind of moved away from the technology side of it, which is where my passion
0: is. Yeah. Uh, no, that's a story we've heard a few times on the show, not necessarily from the perspective of a CTO, but when you do get into any sort of managerial role if you're the kind of person that loves like the hands-on stuff you just get taken further and further away from it just because that's what happens so did you not really work as like an out and out software engineer with a team and a manager like you kind of jump straight into quite senior roles and like you said being everything it so is that kind of is that how your career has progressed really no no i was still a software engineer for a few years had a little team under me that grew organically um, yeah. then kind of then took the leap into other things. Yeah. Nice. No, it's a really interesting way of doing it. And it's cool that, like you said, it's a bit later on as well. So it's a really good story for anyone that's maybe listening. That's just getting into software engineering or isn't sure if they should or not. Um, and it's, to be honest, it's probably easier now to get into software engineering than it was when you were deciding to do it. Cause there's loads of different ways of doing it now. The key is, You have
1: to be passionate about it. And if you're passionate about it, then you'll be a success. If it's just a job that you find easy, then you probably, you know, will stay as a software engineer for, you know, you have to be really passionate about it. And actually the funny thing is COVID was the best thing that happened to me professionally. (laughs) Um, A lot of people, you know, learnt new languages, um, Spanish, Portuguese. I actually became an engineer again and, and got, Lots and lots of technology sent to me from ADLink, um, Lots of technology sent from NVIDIA and just kind of put things together and made things work and understood and probably improved our solutions a couple of hundred percent based off where we would have been if if I hadn't had the time to
0: actually just get hands-on and use it as an actual as yeah. end user. No, that's a, great, that's a great point. I actually had a chat yesterday, not in relation to technology, but just to one of our clients. And we were saying that like, COVID actually accelerated their move to being a bit more of a digital-first platform because a mm-hmm. lot of it, a lot of what they do was in person and a lot of it was not manual, but like it was it was a base based a lot on the user kind of interacting with their stuff, and the plan has always been oh we need to get more digital, we need to get a few more products, we need to do this, we need to do that, but kind of life and business and day-to-day stuff kind of gets in the way, and then COVID just hammered their ability to do on-site stuff so the entire company was now a digital remote company so like a bit like you they, they've kind of very quickly and rapidly changed to something that might have taken them i don't know three years and they've done it in nine months mm-hmm. um so uh, i mean obviously it's a it's not a good reason for covid but there's definitely <laughs> been some positives out of it um is what i was trying to get to so yeah, you had a couple of positions as cto and then mm. you ended up going uh and contracting for, well, it wasn't, it's not AD Link, it was a company that was before, right? Uh, no,
1: no, it, um, I was contracting at AD Link. Oh, cool. um, so that's that's kind of where my journey started with them as a, as a contractor. And um, I had ex- previous experience in the IoT space, um, obviously in software engineering, software management, um, and kind of was brought in as a quasi product owner with. Absolutely no line management responsibility, which was which was free, and I, I can't explain how 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 free that was based off um, all the positions I'd had over the previous years. Um, but then, obviously, only for a while. By that point, you know, after after a couple of months, you start thinking, actually, I can I can influence and I can manage and I
0: can drive things forward for this organization. Nice, and then, oh yes, yeah, so you, you've ended up joining there permanently. Yeah, um, and back to line management. So back to being head of engineering. So, yeah, there, there, so there was a company doing kind of middleware work before, right, and an AD-Link noticed there was potential to to kind of be able to use that.
1: Yeah, so the, the original business base in the UK was called Prisic, and they had, absolutely right, a middleware product that um, was sold commercially, lots of different organizations using it for different use cases, you know, military, aerospace, um, you know, we often quote that it's used on the space station. Um, but but Link kind of looked at the market and said, well, margins um, uh, in software are higher than hardware, you know, and actually let's diversify. And they came along and purchased the business.
0: And then nice. they went,
1: great, you have this, this DDS product um, called OpenSpice. Let's put that into one business unit and let's create another business unit that uses that technology to go and solve IoT um,
0: problems out in the world. Nice. And so you said you've got a background in Internet of Things, right? Um, and I was going to jump onto that. So the company still has the middleware stuff, but yeah, you're now added focus on IoT. Um, for anyone that's listening, I don't think this will be many people, but uh, what would you kind of explain as Internet of Things? Like when people talk about that, what what do they mean? Um, so it's
1: really um, understanding that, Data gets collected either via a sensor or via some other form of medium. And then that data is then um, sent to a decision engine, which then can use alerts, run rules on it, generate new data. But it's all about the collection of data and actually taking action off that data or, or driving business intelligence and business understanding of what's going on within their organization or within their physical Set up in a in a manufacturing facility to improve and drive
0: efficiencies. Nice. Um, it is one of those things where, like, I feel like IoT's been around for ages, and <laughs> people still don't really know what it is. But I think it's probably because everyone still thinks of like smart devices in the house, and like, it's they've maybe not taken off as much as people thought they would. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I have to
1: hold my hands up and be honest. Over Christmas was the first time I actually. Commercially bought something to operate an, a, a semi-smart house. Funnily enough, the, the 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 job I'm in, I I maintained to the very end that I would not bring technology into the house, and then COVID delivered a hundred pieces of technology for me to play with, and it 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 got through the door somehow. What well, uh,
0: what was the first smart device thing you bought for the house? Um, so I, I bought a Blink camera system. Oh yeah, um, we're gonna get we're gonna get onto this. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get we'll get to that in a bit. I, I, that's a good story. So yeah, sorry. Go back to AD Link. So a big part of it again is a, another kind of data buzzword is computer vision. That's one of those things where you can you can do some really interesting stuff, right? So you're kind of building. Oh, well, the AD Link is building a lot of the hardware and the capability for. Um, I think like Amazon, for example like you said, gaining efficiencies and saving time and money. Um, so I suppose going back to anyone that may be listening, so um, computer vision as a kind of brief explanation from you, but then also like the kind of things that you guys are doing with it.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so computer vision, or, or
1: AI as it gets called frequently, <laughs> is, um, is around taking cameras as a sensor and actually taking those raw images and feeding them into an inference engine to understand what the camera's seeing and, and and the reason you do that is to drive an action in the real world for example our smart palette project we have two two different versions of it we have one that understands what the contents of a palette should be and and when boxes are put on a palette it recognizes the barcodes it compares that against the manifest and it determines whether the package is on the right palette or the wrong palette and that it'll shine a red or a green light, or we have a virtual light tower on screen that shows to the user whether the package is on, on the correct palette or not. We also have a variant of that, which sometimes gets referred to as smart pack, but it's essentially the same technology, which actually is a two camera system which allows you to look down inside a box and understand the contents of a box with another camera on the side reading the barcode to determine which what should be in the box. The two get compared. A light gets, a red or a green light comes on a light tower. Even you could even drive a piston to then just push the box onto another conveyor belt if it's incorrect and get it checked. So there's lots of, lots of different use cases. However, I think the key thing is machine vision for us is it's teaching and understanding what is being
0: seen by the camera to drive an action in the real world. And I suppose just by... uh, byproduct of it being a computer right there's less error
1: well it's only as good as the
0: person that's taught it what it's seen well, that's um,
1: true. It, the, but the benefit is um it doesn't get tired
0: <laughs> yeah that, well yeah because i was going i was thinking like if you're in a warehouse like i mean i've worked in supermarkets like there's days where you're tired you're over you've done a huge shift like you can't be bothered like you can make mistakes with like packages and uh, and deliveries and stuff like that. Whereas obviously, in the scale that you're doing over some of your clients, like yeah, you're right, you, they can work all night.
1: Yeah, so you know one of the solutions we've got is we're on arc welding robots um, for um, a large vehicle manufacturer, and and what typically happened was the vehicles would get to the end of the production line, um, and then a human would check the welds that had happened. And if and if it was deemed as incorrect welds, it had to be moved to another f- side of the factory, another part of the factory, to then be re-welded and re-looked at. We've actually implemented a solution that allows a camera to be mounted on the arc welder, and it's actually looking at the weld as it's going in real time. And when, it, when we detect a bad weld, it stops the robot and alerts a human to come and look at it and make a decision. If you imagine the effort it takes to move a giant agricultural vehicle to another part of a facility
0: that in itself can save so much time and money. It's unbelievable. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great example. And I think it's one of those things that like, people... Uh, Think that computer vision cameras, robots like that's the place where computer vision AI machine learning it might like take jobs or or whatever, but in that case you, the story you just said like it's actually enhancing like the skill of the actual human right mm-hmm. so they're they're only come getting involved when it goes wrong because they're the ones that can fix it rather than having to do it all manually
1: exactly um and and if anything it's it's allowing our customers to upskill people. So the, the people that were doing those jobs originally um, now have the ability to add to their skill sets to actually work with these robots. Um, but also it allows them to be redistributed within an organization where
0: maybe they can add more value to a business. Is a big thing, and this is maybe me just being not very technical, but as a big thing for some of your projects getting the speed and the accuracy, right because obviously there's no point in you having all these clever cameras if it's taking forever, for example, but like you said, a lot of it is in real time. Um, every,
1: everything we do is in real time, um, whether that's the IOT side, uh, making instant decisions, whether that's machine vision, and if you think you know we have we have an element of of health and safety as well in the solution that we bring. And if you actually look at our our tool set and and the capabilities, we're actually only limited by the person that's building the model. So the exact same software is used to to look at a, an arc weld versus worker safety solution. And, and and that could be a camera on the back of a forklift that detects when somebody's within a specific zone that the forklift's moving into and sounds a klaxon or stops the forklift. Or it could be a simple case of not allow, not allowing somebody into a specific area of a site if they're not wearing the right PPE. But the exact same software is used for both solutions, or actually all the solutions. It's just how you teach it, and then and then you have that element that we call, you know, the last inch, which is you have all that, but actually, how do you hook it up
0: to something in the real world? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that must be the hardest thing. So, yeah. I'm sure there's, I'm sure you and the team and uh, and the company in general, there must be some like wild, crazy ideas that your technology could almost certainly help, but it is just getting it into the real world. Yeah. Um, Lots and lots of wild, crazy ideas.
1: Um, the most recent one that was brought to me was um, understanding visually the weight of livestock to help tailor the, the quantity of feed being provided to them. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, that company will have to gain a lot of empirical evidence of, of, you know, this was the measurements of a, of a specific animal. This was the weight of the animal. But actually, it's not beyond the realms of of impossible you know it's it's absolutely possible to do it just means that you have to gather all the information ahead of time so that you can actually train a model again i come back to train a model to actually um, solve that problem and and we're not we're not model builders we work with um ai system integrators um experts you know um, data scientists whose job is to build models The, the the beauty of what we've done is we've kind of focused on user experience as 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 our core and we you know I work with a great senior UX designer who translates the crazy stuff that comes out of my head um and and somehow gets it on screen and, and gets the process in such a way that it simplifies people's lives. Because talking to AI SIs um just to use more acronyms um they're really good at building models, but the, the issue for them was how do I collect my training data efficiently, and how do I actually deploy my model and use my model once I've built it, and and
0: and that's the, that's the the components we've really simplified for the world. That's yeah, it's interesting because a lot of people seem to want to like almost control the whole process. So like when you're speaking to data scientists or people running data companies, they want to be the ones that are like collecting data, cleaning data. Building the model, deploying it, realizing where it's wrong, take it back, build it again, get it more accurate, deploy it again, and then try and sell it to their customer or to whatever. But you guys are just not doing it that way at all. Like you're focusing on what you're really, really good at and mm. then getting help getting help where you need it. Yeah, and all this is underpinned by our what we call our data
1: river, which is that um original middleware product that AD purchased us for. And and we just we enable really efficient east to west communication on the network. A lot of people just focus on north to south. And actually, if you think about so I, I set up our smart palette solution here on my desk. I actually used the exact same applications but just miniaturized it. But I could then use um a Visi AI with webcams, plus one of our larger um what we call a DLAP, which is one of the larger devices we have, which had more compute power. And I could build one solution
0: across multiple devices, leveraging the power of our middleware. Yeah, that's one of the things we we're going to get into, actually, because you'll be able to explain it more than I can. But people can actually, like, they can use your technology, right? Like, the, for example, the Vizi AI, like, these things are, they're there for people to play around with. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, you can buy
1: Visi AI off arrow.com. Um, I think it's you know, around two hundred dollars, something around that. But out of the box, you get our edge platform, you get all of our vision applications available out of the box, and actually, you can go from unboxing to inferencing and and even driving things in the real world
0: within fifteen to twenty minutes, depending on your internet connection. Have you seen that with people who just want to get like hobby projects, or have you seen? People that you like smaller companies, they can also make use of that. Like, what what would be the benefit? Do you think?
1: Well, we've even got large companies that are using um, uh, have bought visies to start their 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 journey on the machine vision AI side of things. To so actually, I've got a low entry price point for a quite a powerful piece of of developer kit. I can prove my use case before then. I need to to buy. You know, industrial grade hardware that's IP67 rated or, or whatever they need to actually have that solution out outside in certain different environments. And it gives them the ability just to prove their use case. Now, one of the best things about, I suppose, AD Link and using our hardware is the exact same software that I use on the Visi can also be used on the, all the way up the, the spectrum of our hardware, all the way to massive server side implementations. But it's the exact same software. It's just been tested on a dev board, and then I've needed a bit more power, so I've bought a higher spec
0: device to run it on. Um, no, it's really cool. I, I mean, you showed me some of the demos, and it, it's it's amazing stuff. Is AD Link primarily aimed at certain types of industries where your kind of machine vision work will make the most sense, or because of the fact that it's so flexible, you can almost do anything? To, to be fair, you can almost do anything. The inquiries
1: and, and the companies we're talking to, I mean, range from agriculture to um, the automotive industry to health. Um, it, it really is such a flexible tool set that we've created that you can actually just use your imagination, try and solve a problem. Um, and sometimes that can actually be a negative to us because we're yeah. so flexible. People go, well, tell me what... Tell me what you can do and and that's why we started focusing on what we call smart solutions. so I mentioned smart palette we've got um a product called MCM Starter Kit, which is very much focused on um iot side of things, especially on vibration data, and we've had roles of that in in large organizations and then obviously with vizy it's it's focused primarily the dev community but only in terms of you know when somebody has an idea they want to test then it allows uh, machine vision to enter the organization at that more price point.
0: Correct me if I'm hugely wrong here, but we did uh, a podcast with um, the guys over in Israel at edgeify who are training models on the edge devices. You guys are also doing kind of edge AI work, right? Like it is, it's, you, you're the models are actually on the devices. Yeah, that,
1: that's exactly where they need to live otherwise and the latency is too high. So yeah. whether you are detecting um, boxes that don't have a barcode, whether you're detecting bad welds or good welds, or whether you're detecting people and PPE, the model lives on the device where the inference engine is, and it runs within our inference engines. And we support Intel's OpenVINO, we support um, DeepStream from NVIDIA, and then TensorFlow
0: and Deep Learning Stream is coming this month. Nice. And you've done loads of work with AWS as well, right? Is that is that related to a lot of your work, or is that stuff that you've done in your own time? Uh, this, this is all stuff that we do um, day-to-day, bread-and-butter kind of stuff. AWS
1: are actually running um, workshops with their system integrators and where they t- they've they took uh, 100 busy AIs and they're actually running workshops. The, the first workshop was in December. It was virtual and we managed to create a virtual copy of everything in, in AWS, which was quite a technical challenge, I have to say. Um, but I, I've been assured that going into 2021, those workshops have gone to become physical workshops, and AWS are actually showing the value of Link hardware and software, but then also the real power of when we integrate that with AWS, um, put Greengrass on the device, and then we can integrate the cloud as well. And the work that I personally have done with AWS um, over the last year, worked on several what were secret projects, Um <laughs> But we're about to ruin that right now. <laughs> no, 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 no. They they all got announced at, um, at reInvent.
0: Oh, um, I wish we you could have given us the scoop and then we <laughs> could have been ahead of reInvent, which would have been cool. Well, um, Panorama is one of
1: the products. Um, look out for vision. And then also Greengrass 2 I've been heavily
0: involved in. I remember one of the shows we did ages ago was just like there's so many people creating so much like clever stuff so whether that's aws whether it's ad link like if you're working in the world of data and software like make use of these tools and like either in your own time or like try and get them into work uh and deliver projects and kind of prove some value especially i don't know i don't know if it's just me because i'm a bit of a simpleton but like i like the idea of computer vision machine vision like doing stuff that i mean it's not like it's gonna be on the front page of the news like you're not gonna hear loads about it, but the fact that a camera can do some of the things you're doing like in the smart Palette project and that that's way more interesting for me than like a lot of the kind of theoretical driverless car like all that type of stuff like I don't know if it's just because we're not quite there yet but like that's not as interesting for me
1: well I think you know you're talking about the driverless car um, it it's so we are part of um, what's called the IAC. The um, autonomous IndyCar project. Um, so, we're providing hardware and software to um, to that, and it was actually announced. I think it was announced on Monday in a, in a in a press release. Yeah, there was a press conference in the US on Monday, and there is a recording of that. But it's called the Indy Autonomous Challenge, um, and there is basically a top prize of one one and a half million dollars, um, and they're literally taking IndyCars and making them driverless. And And you say, "Well, we're not quite there yet well by by October, we will have the race, and a d link is one of the key partners in that, uh, again, providing hardware and software, but actually you know these these guys are streets ahead of of where you need to be in terms of machine vision to actually race a car at two hundred miles an hour and not crash into
0: each other. yeah, see, I'd watch that." <laughs> uh... I th- yeah, I don't know. I, I've got I, I've got a bee in my bonnet about driverless cars because I quite like driving. So like, I don't want them to get yeah. closer, uh, but I'm sure they will. I, I'm with I, you, I, I, I like driving. I do. Yeah, I think it's. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I might change my mind. But you mentioned using the kind of Vizy and and also just loads of stuff uh, in lockdown. But there was one uh, project that you did that was a bit of a it was a bit of a vendetta, right?
1: Yeah. So so where I'm sat, um, I'm actually in in. In one of it, I'm in my family room and I'm downstairs looking out over a nice view. And what I noticed, probably only two weeks into lockdown, is every delivery driver in the area parks on my drive and uses the side of my house as a thoroughfare to the rest of the street. And they trample all over my front lawn. So after probably the 30th time of opening the window and shouting at someone, <laughs> um, I kind of sat there and I thought, oh, wait, there, I have all this cool technology here. There must be a better way to do this. Um, so I just, I had a couple of hours one Friday afternoon where I set up a webcam outside, downside the of the house, used literally used Vizzy and the off the shelf software and configured it to send me a text message every time it saw a delivery driver. And then I could head them off before they got on my alone. Um, and that was really the basis of the project.
0: And th- was it, that it knew there was a delivery driver, or was it that the only people coming down the side of your house were delivery drivers? Or did you ever run in like a cost one of your kids or like family trying to get in the side?
1: Yeah, I, I did. Um, I did scare the the bejesus out out the kids once. Um, so the kids um hadn't been with us for about three months and didn't know this was set up. And then the <laughs> it, lockdown ended and the kids were coming back. And I'm sat at my desk and I get a text and it's, it's busy texting me saying, Hey, it's busy. There's another delivery driver here. And and as soon as I get that cue, I go running out the side of the house to confront someone. And my 15 year old jumped about three foot
0: in the air. Uh, it could have been worse to be fair. They could have just like had a, a fight or flight and just like tried to deck you or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. He has the flight reflex.
1: I have the fight reflex, but I, I did, I did consider other options, you know, trip wires, um, electrified gates and and I was talked off the ledge by uh, my wife who just was seriously about you're going to get sued by these guys
0: or or you're going to have a pile of bodies down the side of the house yeah don't want either of those but no it's cool that you just used like the like a, a webcam out of the box and uh kind of text alert and like you could build something pretty quickly, which I think is the whole point. I mean, obviously there's the subject of it, which is quite funny, but like <laughs> you managed you managed to do it pretty simply. You've got a, there's a, uh, you've got the project on online, right? So people can like look at it. Yeah. It's on hacks.io.
1: Um, also nice. if, if people want to know more, they can go to go to Um, and, and the projects are referenced there, but also, um, there's more information on the Visi, There's more information on the software, how to buy it. And also, during the start of lockdown, I wrote a ton of user guides for people. So, how do I do X with Vizzy? It's probably in there in the user guides. Um, nice. And, and literally, the only the only thing I had to do to implement my project was because um, we we have our own version of Node-RED, um, which for those that don't know is is a is a really low slash no code um, dashboarding tool, typically, but allows to build complex work uh, workflows um based off the off the shelf components that they provide. All we did was we added our data of the input and output nodes and also a Twilio node. And and it was literally out of the box. You get it all it comes configured and I simply had to drag on my Twilio node, add in my Twilio credentials, which I, I think I demoed it once. It took about two minutes to do. And every time it saw a person, it sent me a text message. And that's really out of the box. That's all
0: I did. Nice. And just so people who are listening kind of understand where you and your team come into a lot of this work, like you guys are building the software mm-hmm. in in the office in the Northeast and then it's getting used all over the place, right? Like that's the main part of your team is building the kind of stuff behind the scenes. Yeah,
1: 100%. So we're, we're typically based in Gateshead when there's not a rampant virus spreading over the world. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Uh, the majority of the teams based in Gateshead. Um, I've got some uh, great guys who work uh, from our Taipei office as well, um, and then we've got teams um, that work on our data river components in Canada. Um, we've got support teams globally. But yeah, the, the, the bulk of the the software engineering, as we're talking about in this case, is done in the Gateshead office.
0: It's pretty pretty cool as well because I mean, the northeast. Is trying to compete, I suppose, with like the Manchester's and Edinburghs of the world. But there's loads of cool stuff going on in the northeast, from what I can tell. Yeah, the the other thing is, um, it's it's kind of like the northeast is a
1: is a really well kept secret, and no matter yeah. how well we try and share it, it it kind of still remains a secret.
0: It's yeah, it's a strange one because like everyone talks about Manchester Leeds, like. Trying to compete with London, for example, but yeah, the northeast doesn't get as much. But maybe that's a good thing because maybe it's it's fine to be a bit a, a kind of kept secret.
1: Yeah, it depends if you if you're aiming for um, secrecy or revenue, I suppose.
0: Well, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, ADLINK founds the northeast with that the company they purchased. So yeah, um, it's obviously possible. Maybe it's just not going in all the the trade press. No, it's it's to be fair. I mean, the, the sales guys that we have in
1: Europe and, and the, sorry, the sales teams we have in Europe and, and especially in the US really bring to life the solutions and the technology we have and do it in such an, an amazing way that we can kind of take what is really a complicated thing and actually um, solve people's problems with it very,
0: very succinctly. Yeah, because even when you talk about the solutions, like they all sound quite simple the way you explain them. But like you just, you just know in the background, like it'll just be insane. Yeah, I'm sure there's a
1: few dents in my desk in the office where I've banged my head off a few times, um, trying to solve these problems. But that, that, and that's the best thing, isn't it? You know, when it goes out into the wild, that it's it's simple and powerful to use, and all of the complexities taken away from from the end user as much as possible.
0: Yeah, no. Some, we had somebody on the show. Uh, it was actually on the Scottish version, uh, rather than focusing on data. But they said, like, you almost want to have a user interface that kind of belies the complexity, and I quite like that. Like, the way that he phrased it, it was just like, it, it doesn't look like much, yeah. <laughs> but that, but, but that's that's the point. Well, that, that's what um, that's that's been the aim for myself and
1: and the senior UX designer since since he walked through the door. Um, believe it or not. Um, when I joined the business um, three years ago, I think, just under three years ago, it used to take three to four days to provision a single device, and that's from starting as an expensive paperwork to installing everything, getting everything manually configured and up and running, and doing everything in the Linux terminal window, um, to now I can literally go from unboxing an ad dealing piece of hardware to deployed in 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean that's that's massive, and people don't, and and still people who are new to our organisation, you show it in the go. Yeah, well, I'd expect it to work like that, but actually, <laughs> Other because, only because they know. <laughs> but actually, out in 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 real in the rest of the world and what we, what people are doing, they you know we have a real differentiator in terms of our user experience.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good, um, and this was probably one thing to finish on that you mentioned right at the start of the show, like COVID's been great for you in terms of getting back to engineering. Do you think that's something you'll take forward like whenever the post COVID world might be? Like is that will that be a big focus of like managing your time so you can still do a lot of this stuff? Yeah, um I, I'm I'm lucky because um not only have I got a team
1: that creates great product, but I have the the different the variety I should say of projects that are coming through AD Link me and my team are going to get more and more involved in. So we'll stay far more on the technical side um, and the architectural side. And actually people coming to us with problems and saying, how do I solve this? Um, And that's definitely something that I won't let go of again um, because it's it's definitely a passion. And my family can see um, the massive difference in me um, versus when I just would sit in meetings and look at PowerPoint all day. And I've I've developed this tick that um, if I'm in a meeting room and PowerPoint goes on, my eyes
0: start feeling very heavy. (laughs) I mean, it's definitely been one of the positives for most people I speak to is that there's less meetings about meetings and there's more like doing stuff, Um, which I suppose in a job like yours, where doing and creating is the whole point. Uh, Exactly. and I mean, I'm an hour from
1: the office and those two hours a day that I would typically spend commuting I actually get to use them, so it's an extra 10 hours a week. And if you add yeah, them across the year, it's, it's nuts. And it's the same for all my guys. You know, I had a guy that you would get the bus in from, from Durham, which take forever as far as I'm concerned. Um, <laughs> and and the guys can just get up, grab a coffee or, or a tea, and, and just sit down and, and start and be more effective. And I, I really do believe that... Covid has allowed us as a team to be more effective because you have to be more succinct in your communication. Um, yeah, you have I- to you have to really communicate clearly, and you can't all crowd round somebody's desk and all scratch your head and um and wonder what a problem is. It really as as has allowed us to to communicate. Now we have had our challenges. Um, I actually had a guy start work for us um, the Monday the lockdown. Um Ooh, not yeah, not. Ideal. Uh, not ideal but thankfully he's he's a senior engineer he's he's talented he he knows what he's doing and and he was able to to get around that we we had to postpone placement students um from that were due in June to September when we could actually spend a couple of days a week in the office i think if we'd have hired a more junior engineer at that time they probably would have really struggled so it it comes with its pros and cons
0: yeah, no, I think so. And I think there's still I mean, for everyone I speak to, whether it's in my office or uh kind of candidates' clients, there's definitely like a a desire to be back in the office for part of it, but a lot of it is like the social communication and interaction. N- rather than like I have to be at my desk at half eight and mm-hmm. I need to leave at six and get the one hour bus home. Like it's that I think that side of it has changed really positively. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, that client I mentioned earlier, we spoke to yesterday, a lot of their software engineers have been quite keen to have like a much more remote setup and it just hadn't happened throughout the years of the business. And with COVID now, they've actually, some of the management team can't believe how productive and more communicative some of those teams are being mm-hmm. remotely than they were when they were sitting in the same office two feet from each other. Um, it just suits them better for whatever reason, and their their has got better, the communications got better, the deliveries got quicker. Like they, they can't believe how well it's went.
1: Yeah, and there is that element. However, there is also the element of um, people's mental health. So, you know, yeah. if imagine if you're single, um, so you know, I, I had a guy that flew back on on the last flight from the US before lockdown um, and went straight into isolation for almost three or four months um and you'd you know and i'm not saying that guy had any mental health issues but i'm just you know kind of paint a picture of you know i'm lucky i have somebody at home um but if if i was on my own all day every day as a, as a leader i worry about their mental health hope that you know, if there was any issues, they would reach out. And as an as an organization, you know, we do we do concern ourselves with that and we do want to make sure that people's mental health is right. And and a lot of my yeah. guys are split, to be honest, 50-50. Some wanna go back into the office because they miss the the relationships. Some guys are like, oh, I can stay here for the rest of my life. I'm happy. <laughs>
0: I've got everything I need. Um Yeah, no, we've we've definitely got that mix as well. And there's also like an element of like if you're lucky to have a setup then i can imagine as a software engineer working from home would be great because you can have your own setup with how you like Mm -hmm. your monitors with how you with the kit you like with basically everything you like but if you live on in a two-bed flat with a flatmate and they're both fighting for the tiny kitchen table or you're sitting on the couch all day like you can see why that would be more challenging that that second example you gave i i had a member of my team that was just like that but
1: I think it was a slightly yeah. larger house share and he was the only one that worked. Um. Yeah, so you, just see that, that Even worse,
0: yeah. Um, So, yeah, there's, there, there's lots of elements to it. I think hopefully the good thing from my point of view is that I think companies will take the best bits about what they've learned about everyone being remote and then change the way they work in the office, and that will probably be the best way of doing it. I'm not 100% sure the companies that have just blanket said we're going to be remote forever have thought it through, Because a lot of their staff will probably want an office.
1: Um, Well, I I kind of, if I think about some my wife's organisation, she's actually recruited a whole team to work for her during lockdown. Never actually met these people face to face, and she's crafted she's crafted a a highly effective team that that works. And actually, they've given up their office space within the organisation because. They literally have started work
0: together as a remote organization, and yeah, I so suppose if that's all you've ever known, then yeah, that would probably work. So, I mean, if I was to join a company that was one hundred percent remote and nobody had really met other than maybe like one or two yeah. like on sites, that you maybe get used to. I think it would probably be harder for people that are used to seeing everybody. Yeah, so I, uh, I, I've,
1: I've been in the office um, maybe five or six times since lockdown one ended. And yeah. I, you know, I've had meetings and not meet, not so much meeting meetings, but time in a very large conference room, one to one with with yeah. a couple of people, and and then I kind of get to lunchtime and I'm itching to get home because I don't <laughs> feel like I've been effective at all. Yeah, it's it's a case of oh now I now I go home now I can do some real work, even if I'm even though I would have still talked to the same person. On teams, for example, I still feel like
0: it, it's more. I'm being more effective where I am. If you had to be careful? I'll probably finish on this. Uh, but have you had to be careful with your team? And this is probably a problem for a lot of people in technical roles, where they just don't stop working. Because I think it's different. Like in the job that I do, like in sales and in recruitment, like it's more obvious when people start and finish work. Like I can't sit and phone like people at nine o'clock at night, they'd be like, what the hell are you doing? Like, leave me alone. Um, Whereas you could feasibly build a solution, like try and fix bugs, like try and do something else. And you end up working way too long. Yeah. I've, a couple of things have been highlighted to me recently where,
1: you know, I've, there's, there's been some pressure on to get some, some software out and somebody has been taking it on, on their own initiative to work weekends and work late. And, and my communication with them is always around the basis of firstly i do not want you working more than the hours that you're contracted to work you know secondly i do applaud people that take that initiative but really you know i don't want it happening and when when i see an email come in from a member of my uk team at quarter to 10 on a night they'll know that the next thing they're getting from me the next day is please don't do that anymore and it's yeah. literally a case of if if I'm talking to somebody during the day and they're saying, oh, I'm I'm going to work late tonight to support this project that's going on in the US, then my the next thing that comes out of my mouth is, please make sure you take that time back.
0: Yeah. As, as a leader, you've would. got to protect people. Yeah, I think it would be easy if you've – because everyone's got a lot of work on and stuff. It would be easy to end up working like – 12 13 hour days yeah. by accident especially if you really like what you're building as well but like you can't sustain that for long periods of time and if you're only getting out for like a walk for example yeah. then it's, it's quite difficult um no it all makes sense i mean it sounds like you guys are doing really well um when we post the show i'll make sure to post a couple of links uh to like the busy for example mm-hmm. to the uh, rogue mailman and delivery man project Nice, yeah, so once we get the show out, we'll put it all together so people can see and make sense of some of the stuff I've talked about. So, you know, I think that was a really cool insight. Like I said, I think it, it's a nice show to do to talk about some of the machine vision like data work that is actually making a big difference to people and kind of helping companies. So, no, I really do appreciate the time. and Thank you for coming oh, on. No problem at all. Appreciate it.